Hello, I'm Doug Siegel. Welcome to The Breakfast Club. A podcast where we take comedians and other interesting folk and bribe them into opening up over the breakfast of their choice. Today I'm talking to the fabulous Sam Wills, who's probably better known to you as his creation, the silent stand-up comedian, the boy with tape on his face. Sam met me for breakfast on the second of his two nights at the Norwich Playhouse. We talk about trolls, how he writes his shows, people ripping him off, his time as a street performer, why Edinburgh is so important to him, America's Got Talent, his obsessive ambition and much more. The podcast starts abruptly with us jumping straight into the conversation. As Sam describes to me the way at the start of his show, he watches the audience from on stage, then just walks out into the audience. So please, just relax and enjoy The Breakfast Club. I just walk up the edge of the floor, standing between the end of the floor, and then like this, just a really slow step off, and then just touch my hands together. It's like, I'm in the audience now. <laughs> and it just gets a really good laugh. But it's that thing of just going, yeah, we're changing the theatre of it. It's just way more fun. Oh, it's way yeah. more fun to be in complete control of the environment. Yeah, cool. that makes a huge difference. I mean, kind of... I found... I mean, what, what helps is, kind of, you've been mm. building very... Not even that slowly, actually, but you've been building oh, to this point. Yeah, I think yeah. so. And I think it's also, this is the... In theory, this is how the show should have always been done. That's interesting, yeah. the eyes thing. Oh, I yeah. remember talking to you about that yeah. uh, when I first saw a photo of that. And yeah. um, you said, no, 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 this is what Take Face was supposed to be. Yeah, 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 totally. Just, I had to get people used to the idea first. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Get them to understand the concept of it yeah. all. And then go, right, here's how it should look. Yeah, yeah. which I think is lovely. It's uh, The bizarre thing is, I think it's because I've known the character... For so long now, yeah, I don't find it remotely disturbing. It was at um, twenty eleven, I think. Weren't we in a yeah, we first met. Um, we first met backstage at the whole Freedom yeah, Festival. And in fact, you weren't even performing. No. You had just come back from somewhere. Uh, yeah. I think, I think it might have been somewhere in the Antipodes. Yeah, um, and you basically you came because Lily was, Lily was performing. Yeah, um, I was just hanging out. That's yeah. right. Yeah. yeah, you don't mind anything. At this point in the podcast, I'm going to do a. Uh, uh, an info lewd to explain <laughs> all about your lovely wife. Of course. <laughs> yeah. I quite like the idea of doing in, info, info lewds. Info yeah. lewds sounds, yeah, sounds <laughs> Something I think I should leave you to do alone. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you don't know what I've done. <laughs> info lewd. Sam is married to the delightful Lily Lascala. Lily's a cabaret host, a wonderful classically trained singer an all-round vintage glamour puss. She runs the brilliantly titled Another Fucking Variety Show and frequently tours with her own shows. Do check out her incredible cover of Radiohead's Creep on YouTube. End of info, Lord. Oh, your <laughs> um, yeah. So, yeah, that was the first time we met and bizarrely bonding, bonding over real, real-time dealing with trolls, which I thought was amazing. That's right, Still got them. They still yeah. grow. Still it's bizarre, isn't it? It's the weirdest thing. I, I don't like the word famous, but, but you don't have much of a profile to, to, to attract yeah. 
trolls. It's just the most bizarre I've, thing, I've isn't got, it? I, I've had so I had one that was my favourite for about <laughs> two months, and like, we would just go at it, and it was really good fun. Like we were winding each other up to a degree. And then, oh yeah. Okay, so the man has arrived and we need to look. Um, I know what I'm going to do. Why am I even kidding myself? Because uh, it's easy. Uh, oh, I'm going to go for the fry up inspector. Yeah, of Please, because then I don't have to think about it. Um, there we go. Um, uh, Eggs London Street is really great if you want something better. Go for the fry up inspector because it's. Yeah. I don't know if it's award winning, but it's. Um, Certainly Gosh. gut busting. It's, yeah. it's amazing. Yeah, a, a day's food. Done. It is a day's <laughs> food, yes. Thank you very much. Yeah, the troll. The troll. So you were telling me about this, your favourite My favourite one was this mad woman of the States, and she was really going me backwards and forwards. And But but I also had a couple which I, I like to turn them around. I feel like I can get one and turn them around. I feel so happy that I, <laughs> that I win. If you could turn them around, they're not real trolls. I know, that's the thing. So I, I they're just poor misguided A couple of, you know, recently saying, you're not funny, and... and, and just by two wonderful moments they've got the wrong grammatical your so I just go you're not very good at grammar <laughs> and then it starts this wonderful little engagement of going the fact that you're getting listened on words by a mime is <laughs> phenomenal <laughs> and then, then eventually it turns around to me I normally can easily spin it to just go why because normally they come to me on my Facebook on my wall and it's like why are you coming to me why are you wasting your life doing it's this it's just such a weird thing don't you think oh. to kind of I mean, you know, they're fine. People don't like you, they don't like you, but you don't walk up to people you don't know in God. the street and say, passionately run I just it. think you're really crying. Yeah. It's just a really so weird odd. thing to do. But there's, there's another one, there's one woman who hates me with a passion. She <laughs> still does. And, I, and uh, I, I really started winding up to the point that I started saying, uh, it was a very public forum that I, that I was talking on as well. Yeah. That I would say that I would be writing her name on the inside of my jacket, so that, <laughs> so that way I know that when I go on stage, I know that she's got my back. And it would just wind her up which I really like. <laughs> yeah, don't feed the trolls. I try and always tell tell yeah. that as well. No, I feel it's kind of it's bizarre that because Tayface is such a kind of abstract. I mean, for me, it feels mm. almost kind of from the school of of. And maybe perhaps this isn't intentional, but from the school of sort of Chaplin's uh, Little Man. Yeah. That's so that. kind of yeah. uh, guileless yeah. and um, basically well-meaning. Yeah. Just, I can't understand why you would even... Hate it. Yeah. To really hate it. And when they hate it, my God, they really hate it. <laughs> <laughs> I, can, I can understand if there's, you know, the, if people just go, I don't get it, and it's stupid. Like, yeah, yeah. it is stupid. That's the whole that's point. That's the point. Yeah. If you don't get it, but if you don't get it, that's fine. Yeah. But then it's, it's the people just going, well, he's doing nothing. And the main the one that pops up all the time is, well, anyone could have put oven gloves on their hands and, and mine and so on. It's like, yeah, anyone can. Yeah. That's, and that's this, the, exactly the same way that anyone can smear oil paint onto a canvas yeah, yeah, yeah. and yeah, it's only Leonardo that painted the Mona Lisa isn't it yeah. anyone can use green and yellow <laughs> anybody can hit a drum yeah. anyone can twang some strings and yeah. make a noise with their vulva yeah <laughs> admittedly you know a lot of people probably could lip sync endless love without gloves <laughs> but yeah. it's not, split, let's it's not it, split here let's face it many people subsequently have yeah, yeah, yeah. true very very true <laughs> Which I find astonishing the people that have 
sort of actively ripped off your act. I mean, kind of, in fairness, yeah. in fairness, some of the things you do are very old circus. Oh yeah, stuff yeah, that like you the, put your spin on it. Yeah, but but the the way you do it, yeah. is is the key to your act. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, I I used to get really frustrated with it. There was um a guy in Benidorm who was doing forty five minutes of the show, and, wow. and he was the man with tape on his face. Whoa, and it was a tribute act. And like the moment you say tribute act, you can you it's a grey area of oh, really? legality. Yeah. Really? So you can have tributes left, right and centre and in the wow. end it's like it's a harder thing to pin them down on copyright. But I started getting frustrated with that. I ended up communicating with him quite a bit of saying, Why are you doing my act? And it's confusing bits and pieces and, and, and I'm getting messages from people saying that they thought they saw me in Benidorm. At which point he turned around and he said, so you actually think your audience believe that you're working in Benidorm? And it's like... <laughs> <laughs> At which point... And then he dropped the mic! Pretty much! It was just like, you, you are so right. And he's like, go about your day, have a good life, sir. Enjoy your holiday lifestyle. <laughs> and, and left it at that. It's like, he's got a point. It's like, if yeah. my audience think I'm working in Benidorm, then they're not my right audience. But at least, so. kind of, in that instance, they're, they're admitting yeah. that they're appropriate in your own. Oh, absolutely. Whereas yeah. there are an awful lot yeah. of YouTube clips I've seen of people where there's no acknowledgement. Oh, yeah. Like, well, the ones that I've, I've embraced now, so if I see people doing the routine, like uh, normally they pop up on YouTube or people send me clips saying, oh, my God, this person's doing your act. And it's like nine times out of ten, it's like a school talent competition yeah. or a car salesman convention or some shit. <laughs> and so what I normally do it's is... Very, like, lu- very lucrative car Oh, absolutely. There's a bit market there. Um, so I normally, I used to retweet or, or repost their video, but then it's like, no, I'm not going to give them the views and the, the oxygen, likes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so I tend to rip their video, I make it all black and white and upload it to my YouTube channel. So it's like, I kind of like the idea that I'm going to rip off them ripping me off. Oh, really? <laughs> That's so, fun. So it's kind of fun in that sense. And cool. then, it also gives you kind of ownership. Yeah, of them, I've, I've gone, well, they're doing my act, it's okay. And then I normally tag them in, like, the, the girl with tape on her face or the kid, <laughs> the kid at school with tape on his face, the Indonesian boy with tape on his face. So I'm giving them their own little names. And, and they're normally okay. There's the one that really was the most frustrating was the Brazilian guy. Was that on, that was that on a talent show? It was a yeah. TV talent show. Yeah. So that was really frustrating. So he he appeared, and that was like nine days after the AGT audition went. Oh, out. was it? I it didn't was the so, timing. Oh god, it was fast. It oh was my so, goodness, so fast. And he did you do it because your initial one was I, I think. Was your initial audition the uh, the red dress? Yeah, movie, yeah, yeah, gloves and gloves yeah. and red dress. That was the first yeah. audition. Yeah. And he did the same. He thing. did. He did the, the routine. He did the oh whole whole scene. But now this was where it got interesting because he did that and everyone just lost their minds and it was really funny. So we, we my friend Dave, knocked up a video of the whole comparison side by side thing, which right. was, you, could, you, know, you could clearly see he was blatantly doing the act. Then my wonderful fans, being the fans that they are, found out who he was. And so they found his Facebook and did, his did name. Did you set your winged demons I on did him? none of that. Fly, my British guy! crush him. <laughs> no, they, they sort of hunted him out and, and got me his name. And so I sent him a message saying, Hello, my name is Sam Wells. You yeah. might have heard I, of me. I know you've you, heard of me. You might have heard of me. <laughs> just wanting to know why you did my act on TV. Yeah. And, and he was really nice about it. Well, and it, 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 he was initially a bit sort of put off and freaked out. Uh, but we ended up having this huge discussion. And he was... Um, He's a clown. He's a right. full-time clown. He's got his own shows and his own routines and bits and bobs. He just needed the money. 
and the TV production company paid him to do the spot. So they went out and said, they we actively, want someone to do this. The TV show actively hired a clown. And presumably this isn't part of the psycho Simon No, 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 no. This family. was this is, tiny is, oh, so, so someone was ripping off both your act and the and, talent and show the talent format they're going to be it on. I, I think the, 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 their talent show format was very much you know the same sort of thing, like a gong show, three hosts, and, uh-huh. and whatnot, and judge, and, and bits and pieces. That's amazing. But they had essentially just gone, well, that's a popular video clip. We need somebody to do that on our TV show, because if they can't buy the licensing rights for it, then they might as well get somebody else to do it. So they just <laughs> bring in their own clown. That's they, proper Inception stuff, isn't it? It was really nuts, but then that sort of shows why he was so ropey at doing it. It's because he probably had a week of watching <laughs> watching the video and then, then it's like go out there and do the act to I a think degree. what's interesting is is for me that highlights kind of where because like I say whilst there are things you do which are, I mean there are things you do which are just inspired and come hmm. clearly out of nowhere yeah. right yeah. or possibly out of looking it's, at an oven glove and yeah, going for way too long yeah. ah yeah. Yeah. Um, but then there are things like the chair routine oh, yeah, is centuries old. Oh. Um, God, I felt guilty doing that. Really? Oh, yeah, it's such a heck routine. Oh, that bless you. So Hold awful. that thought. We'll come back to that, right? So, but what I was then going to say was kind of the, the, the sort of, you know, snogging your yeah, hand, yeah, the re- being, re- looking like, yeah. as if someone's caressing you from behind. It's really odd. I remember kind of doing that at school. God, yeah. But it's the value you bring to that yeah. is that's your value as a performer. Yeah. Um, and that, that's kind of the singer, not the song. And just how easy it is to fuck that up. Even, <laughs> even if they have your musical yeah, arrangement yeah, of it. They've got the music, they've got the costume, they've got yeah. the props, and they still screw it up. Yeah. It's incredible. Yeah. Because, you know, you're, you're, you've kind of, you're, you've taken a basic whistled tune, oh, and then yeah. you've turned it into a symphony. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, I think what's interesting is I haven't realised, because I've never seen one of your few full shows. Okay. I mean, we've worked together loads, loads and loads and loads and loads of times. Yeah, yeah. I've never seen one of your full shows, because you Always clash for me at Edinburgh. Of course, yeah. Um, and like this week, I'm working. You're you're kind of reasonably close to me, yeah, and yeah, I'm working. Yeah. Um, so I've never seen one of your full shows. So I don't know how long you've doing, been doing chairs. I would imagine since you were a busker. But yeah, no, the chair one came about because that's in the second show. So whenever, it? yeah, well, whenever I write a show, I've always got I've got one bit of material that I start with um, that never gets that never makes into the show. It's right. the pillow fight. Okay. So essentially, I did it on a TV pilot years ago. Essentially, the gag is that it's man versus machine. And so I get two volunteers <laughs> up. They each get a pillow. One of them, I put a PlayStation controller in his pocket, and he's my machine. Oh, and, I, and I control them, and they have a pillow fight. So that's always the first joke that goes into whatever show. Right. So show one, that was the opening joke. Show two, that's the joke, and that's the first joke that gets cut. So the moment I've got an hour, that joke goes. That's gone, but and that's been the inspiration, that's been the seed. That becomes yeah. the, the... So that way I always... Because there's nothing worse than starting a show going, I don't know where to start. At uh-huh. least when I go, right, show number three, pillow fight. We open with a pillow fight. <laughs> <laughs> I love the idea of you sit, you sit in a MacBook going, the, the, the curtains pull back to reveal a man, holding a PlayStation uh, controller and two pillows. Yeah. <laughs> Well, it's just that idea of that way at least I've got a, a starting point. Otherwise, yeah. I just look at a blank piece of paper and go, I can't write a show. For sure, yeah. There. So, um, but yeah, what, what is the, and then full show, yeah, the four tiers. So the four tiers was when I just needed content. And I just, I didn't really, I didn't know if I had a show. I had three months to write a show. I was freaking out about it because we'd booked into Adelaide French Festival. Yeah. And I, I, we had to deliver the show. So it was just like, right, every hack idea. <laughs> <it> <laughs> and the four chairs one I put in there thinking, 
I'll cut that. That has to go because right. if street performer friends of mine see that I'm doing this routine, I'm just going to get grief just uh-huh. from everyone going, I can't believe you're doing that routine. It's like, yeah, I know I'm doing that routine. But at least I kind of feel like I've put, like you say, I have put my spin on it. Exactly I'm, using, right. I'm using that song, Lean On Me. I've, uh-huh. I've got my own little jokes throughout it, which I feel are yeah. original. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I've got my own, yeah, it's my own take on it rather than being a, here's a magic trick of four elevating uh-huh. whatever. So, so see, yeah. that's, that's what's really interesting. <laughs> it's really interesting you said that you put it in because you needed, you needed to put time on the clock. In time, yeah. And that, that's interesting because I was vaguely aware of the routine. Mm. I'd seen, literally seen street performers do yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's been it's around portable. forever. It's brilliant. Yeah, it, it's so, so many boxes, right? Um, it's my panic routine as well. Oh, really? Yeah, it's my panic. If, a, if something goes wrong on stage or if there's a, a function, that. I'll find four cheers. Great four cheers, four volunteers. There was one show in Adelaide where the power went down and, uh-huh. and like the whole site, the, the, the garden shut down and the audience was sitting there going, well, we don't know what to do. So I led the audience out of the tent and <laughs> outside four cheers I built a crowd we did the routine we killed time and we went back and finished the show I think it's interesting you talk about so building good. a crowd I remember somebody describing to me and I want to talk about your your, your work uh, with, with street performers someone uh, described street performing acts mm. as being uh, nine minutes of build up oh, yeah, and yeah. one minute of trick yeah. um, oh, I think that's interesting right. but it's because of that dynamic yeah. of building, building a crowd dragging it out yeah. Yeah. but um, but yes so I was aware of it um, and What's, what did it do yeah. it? And you can buy instructional videos for these sort of oh, things. God, and, yeah. and I bought one. Okay, for a street performer? Uh, well, for all sorts of kind of uh, circus skills yeah. and, and whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And I bought one. And in there, the guy was saying in his routine that he put it into his show because he needed to fill time. And the reason I was putting it in my show, because it's my current show, which is why I love the fact you went, it's so hack, um, is that I wanted to fill some time with it. And then I kind of wove the fabric of the show into it and turned it again into something more than this. But I hadn't realised that you did it. Because I've never seen any of your shows. So you and I were on, on consecutive nights at the Llama Tree Festival. Oh, you would have done the same. Yeah. Did I, I don't think no, I didn't do it there. No. No, the Llama Tree Festival. Oh, well, I hope to God you did because I wasn't aware you did it. Yeah. And I did the routine because I did the, the, I was doing yeah. the full Edinburgh preview. So I did the routine. It went incredibly well. And afterwards, one of the guys that was on the chairs See, said, you did last well, night. I, I did it last night with that other guy. And I was thinking, oh, who the hell was that? I didn't know. And then yeah. somebody, I think it was after one of the previews, somebody sent me a message on Facebook saying, do you know Sam? I don't, I don't think well, someone knew you. Yeah, do you know yeah. Take Face does that? That's it, and sent me a photo of you taking a selfie <laughs> with it. <laughs> and I was like, oh, Well, that's shite. the thing. That's, that's <laughs> my other thing is that I don't want to be now in, in the, that street performing community of going, like it does potentially not ruin the routine for other people yeah. where they go oh you're doing tape faces routine so it's not my routine it's, yeah. there's no way shape or form like, I know but, but like, like, like we keep saying it's kind of what you add to these things yeah because but then Joe know, Public go well that's your routine like Joe there's so many members of the yeah. public who think that me dancing with a red dress is that's mine it's like yeah. God, no 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 it's the way you do that and it's with the Chris Bird song and all your jokes absolutely I think that's interesting but I think equally unavoidable. Yeah, um, yeah absolutely. Know, yeah. Uh, because it's you know it's it's like music. There's only a finite number yeah. of notes and scales. Yeah, um, you come up with a yeah, you know, same variation of thing. There's only exactly. so many times that an animate object can become a puppet for me. Yeah. I go, oh well, it's another face. <laughs> Use it again. So 
what I hadn't realised, and I've kind of, I've been, I think, as thorough and diligent in my research for this as uh, my podcast hero, mm -hmm. Richard Herring. So I've used his methodology for researching, which yep. was three minutes on Wikipedia in the car on the way over. <laughs> um, but I was kind of, I was aware, the first time I became aware that, you'd, that you had uh, a street performer background was when we had, we had a meeting about crisis. Again, this will be an info loop. As well as comedy, both Sam and I work on the cabaret circuit. In 2013, those of us that do work the cabaret circuit got very upset because somebody decided to start the first ever London Cabaret Festival and nobody invited us. It was full of people that just simply didn't work the circuit. Even worse, Alexander Armstrong slagged us off in the Evening Standard. We made a video protesting it, which you might like to see. You can find it on YouTube by Googling Cabaret 2 Cabaret Revolution. It's quite funny, you can see me without a beard and Sam with tape still on his face. End of info, Lord! Yeah. Uh, we had a crisis meeting in the cabaret world in a bar in Covent Garden yeah. and we sat down and suddenly five people pointed to a photo above your head going, yeah, that's, that's you, Sam! Yeah, and yeah. it was you doing the kind of the, the, the balance on yeah, the suitcases roller, roller. and stuff. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that was the first time I was aware that you'd had a background on that. And today, um, as I say, my, my diligent research on Wikipedia, <laughs> uh, I hadn't realised that you had such an in-depth background and you'd been so successful with that prior to Tape Face. Oh, yeah, yeah, my street performing world is massive, I suppose. Well, that's the window, because I left... Oh, no, I studied circus school, 99, 2000, and then became street performer to pay the bills. Yeah, yeah. so that was like... Um, that's right. And it's just always been in the back pocket to always bust. Even when I was doing comedy clubs in New Zealand, I remember hanging out with some friends with my gear for a late show. Because being a prop comic, you always got a suitcase or some stuff. Yeah, <laughs> I'm a man with a suitcase. Yeah, I had to go. So I would be hanging out with friends for a coffee, and then I would just go, oh, I'll be back in an hour, and just disappear. I would go bust for come an hour. Jingling. Literally come back jingling <laughs> with three times the amount of money that I made from the late show. <laughs> I think it's interesting. I've spoken to a few people kind of that have a foot in, yeah. in street form. They've always said, the great thing about it is, no. at any point, yeah. you can raise some money. Yeah, yeah. Which you think is amazing. Yeah, it is. It's always the fallback thing. But for me, it's that thing of going, I need to always know that I've got a street show that I can grow old gracefully doing. <laughs> Nobody wants to see an old man sort of shoving their body Do you know uh, the comedian Martin Moore? He'll be appearing on this. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Again, like, he has he's got great very, skills. Yeah, yeah he's, he's very similar. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but I thought it was interesting. But you, so you actually, you studied... Did you study clowning as well? Oh, at the circus school I went to, we did everything from juggling, acrobatics, trapeze, high wire, um, and mine, brief workshops uh -huh. in mine and stuff, and clowning. So I majored in juggling. That was my mad passion. I, right. I originally started out as a clown back in my little small town. Uh, so I did work with a guy called Jack for the Clown. He sort of taught me the basics of, like, he taught me how to juggle, ride a unicycle, <laughs> and basic clown sketches that we had together, little routines. And then I got obsessive about juggling. Uh -huh. Juggling was just insanely over the top, mad for it. So I went to the school and just juggled non-stop for two years, just flat out became a <laughs> mad juggler. I think it's, it's one of those things that, that the only way to do it, oh. or to, to any level, is to become obsessive. Oh, yeah, yeah, and I'm a fairly obsessive person. When I latch on something, it's like, that's all I do, that's all I focus on. So even now, I don't have any hobbies, I just do shows, I'm just nothing but... Here's the thing, though, do you not think that... 
once your hobby becomes your career, which is oh, every yeah, hobby yeah. is dream. Yeah. One, it sort of stops being a hobby. Yeah. And be- sometimes, and what people don't realise, we have the best freaking job in the world. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. There's still days when you don't want to go into work. Oh yeah. Same as any other job. Yeah. There's, there's days where I'm looking at social media going, oh, this can fuck off. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Update everything and keep on top of it all. So yeah. oh, this is not what I signed up for. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just want the fun bits, but, yeah. but it is a job. Yeah. And I, but I, I have a theory that. I think once your hobby becomes your job, then you don't do any other hobbies because I feel almost like nothing else is going to. Do you have it had to be the thing that you were singularly passionate yeah. enough about yeah, yeah. for it to become something you were good at to make a living from it? Yeah. So what else is going to fill that? Anything else is going to be just yeah, it's a, bit, a vague right. interest. Yeah, isn't yeah. It? So I, I, I tend to buy. I play PlayStation. That's my little kind of only hobby. But even then, I buy PlayStation games and I don't open them. But uh, buying them gives me the satisfaction that one day I will play I'm the game. I do the same thing. I do exactly the same thing. Oh my god! Wow, amazing! Okay, food has arrived. Uh, we, in the interest of, of trying to stay with the vague theme that I'm attempting to sell this podcast with, we should discuss the food. Thank you so much, my friend. Do you guys have any sauces at all? Uh, yes, please. Yeah, go yeah. everything. Yeah. <laughs> Bring it on. What, what options? Whatever options you've got. Condiments for when? Condiments for We've got mustard. Yes. You know, no, no, what we have there is English mustard. English mustard. No. Norwich mustard. Norwich mustard is, yeah. Norwich English mustard. the museum? Yeah. Norwich breakfast sauce, and then, you know, Norwich breakfast sauce? Yeah, it's called Zubris. Very, very good. It's like a mix between sort of brown sauce and shell ham, Worcester sauce. Very, very nice. Do you remember? Mix between or right. accidentally factory? Accidentally discovered. Fantastic. So I should probably say that um, we're here today in Pandora's Kitchen, which rarely for one of these is, is my favourite place to come and have breakfast. Um, and we're both opted for the... Um, yeah. The, yes, it's, it's called the, the Breakfast Inspector. Yeah. Because one, one of the things that inspired this, this podcast was how obsessive people become about breakfast. And there are Facebook groups and stuff. And there's a, there's a chap known only as the, the Breakfast Inspector, who ranks the country's breakfast. Oh, really? Yeah. Cool. And this is, um, this is his breakfast of choice. It's pretty cool. There's two fried eggs, some... Um, is that fried bread or toast? It's toast. And it's toast, yeah. Mushrooms, black pudding, a whole tomato, bacon, a couple of sausages and some hash browns, and beans, but beans in, in a... Ramekin. What you, a ramekin. A ramekin of goodness. Yeah. Hang on, I'm going to try yeah. this sauce. Now, you're, you've removed your beans. Yeah, make space. Yeah. Make space. <laughs> How do you feel about beans in a ramekin? Um, pointless. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> I absolutely agree. That's one of my kind of breakfast questions. It's your, your breakfast cry. Exactly. But I know people that panic about it. They can't have sort of food oh, items touching. Yeah, yeah. It's a really weird thing, I feel. Um, mm. And that's interesting. You've gone for... This, this, this makes one of my questions quite interesting. The original British breakfast sauce, which I'll be honest with you, I've not heard of, but it's local. It's made in Rendlesham in uh, in Suffolk, which is the site of Britain's biggest UFO sighting. <laughs> <laughs> it's our very own, um, our very own Area Fifty One, uh, um, mm-hmm. the epicenter of which is a campsite. Mm. Um, it's amazing. Um, but yeah, so one of my questions is, I, I have. I believe correct uh, opinions on the consumption of sauces with with breakfast products. I mean, this is what I maintain. Okay, this is a breakfast theory. Yeah. Okay, I maintain that 
brown sauce is the only sauce men should be having with bacon and uh, and sausage. Okay. Based on ba- based on the fact that it's a manly it's a manly condiment, right? And and, and <laughs> that's how manly it's, it's leapt out. It's leapt out. It's leapt out of your out, out of your bottle and onto your hand. Uh, forcing you across the room. No, I'm good, thank you. For, across the room to get some water. Yeah. yeah. I'm slightly disappointed you're not using it as a finger bowl. But, yeah. Um, uh, and, and, and it's been borne out by, you know, uh, drunken conversations with people. So, you've you're, you're tri condimented, um, mm. which is interesting. It's one of those exploratory, though. I am. Amazing, thank you. Yeah. How about hydrates? That's what we need. Fantastic, <laughs> thank you very much. So far, so amazing. Yeah. Um, thank you. Thank you. I'm more about condiment than breakfast. Really? Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's cool. I have to say, I think ketchup um, does go with egg. Yeah, ketchup and egg. But I'm also, um, there's none here but a hot sauce, any sort of hot sauce. Hot sauce, I love really? I really have a thing any hot sauce. I'm mad for hot sauces. Is that a kiwi thing? I mean, one of the things I'm going to ask you was, oh, what, you know, what, what are the kiwi, what's, what's a kiwi breakfast? Be this. Yeah, yeah? this be, yeah. It's just, still fry up. Yeah, fry up, yeah. Big, and with, this, yeah. with the same array of we, we, just, we just call this, a, this would be called a big breakfast. A big breakfast? Yeah, yeah big breakfast. I yeah. like that. Yeah, same sort of thing. No messing, that's a... Uh... Um, we might go even more... Like the beans wouldn't be just your Heinz baked beans, that would be more like a, a three bean mix kind of cool. more cool natural. Man. Oh, yeah, it'd be very, <laughs> very organic, very over the top. Yeah, yeah. free range eggs and goodness. That's weird because I don't imagine the public's doing that. <laughs> Which is basically, I'm now convinced that oh, the Middle Earth yeah. is real, real it and your homeland. <laughs> the very fact that you come from a town which uh, which has an extinct <laughs> volcano called Mount Horrible just supports my theory, doesn't it? <laughs> it's a real thing that exists. Do they teach the history of Mount Horrible in in? Um, in, in schools. I was too busy juggling. I bailed on school. <laughs> What's, what sort of town was it you grew up in? It looks from the I, outside. It's coastal, yeah? I initially... I'm listening. I was born in Dunedin. And uh, Dunedin is uh, one of the, the four major cities of New Zealand. Um, mm-hmm. It's down the bottom of the South Island. It's... Interesting thing about Dunedin is that it's very Scottish. It's based on Edinburgh. Well, it's yeah. that, it means that's, that's um, is it Gaelic for yeah. Edinburgh? Yeah. So what they did is, in theory, they took the map of Edinburgh and dropped it onto the city of Dunedin. So there's the same streets and same, there's some of the same layouts. There's still Princess Street, George Street and, and all the others. So you can be walking down a certain pattern and go, you can vaguely get a feeling of the same sort of streets. Although it's a completely different, you know, suddenly you're walking on a hill. And it's like, it's not... And, and there's less sucks Yeah, yeah. So Dunedin is where I sort of grew up for the first sort of 10, 12 years, but I kind of blocked that out because I don't really like Dunedin. <laughs> it's not, and it was where I went to school and I had a horrible time. I didn't really enjoy life and growing up down really? there. So it's a fairly, and my um, apologies to everyone from Dunedin, but I found it a fairly miserable place. Wow. Yeah. And then we moved to a place called Timaru, which is on the coast. It is... Um, yeah, it's a beautiful little town, 30,000 people, and that's why I, I essentially, that's where I feel like I grew up. I became, you know, I was a teenager, I found out a bit more who I was, I, I learned to, this is where I became a juggler, this is where I became a performer. So that's where I consider my life starting, the moment I became a performer, that's, that's, that's my birth. 
get anything before then doesn't exist. So I always say to people, you know, I'm, I am from Timaru, but then I move again to Christchurch, which mm-hmm. is that's the place that I always refer to as home. So in all interviews, I say I'm from Christchurch. I'm Christchurch. How old were you there? 19. 19. So you've almost kind of segmented your, your life at the, kind of the major change points, yeah. haven't you? Yeah, absolutely. Block out the bad parts. <laughs> it's broken. Ignore it is and move on. Yeah, that never happened. Yeah, ignore that. Um, yeah, I think it's, it's just easy to do. And then I've got the very clear no, 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 chapters of where I'm at and what's going on. But even for moving over here as well, the same sort of thing. I, I can pinpoint certain dates and going, this happened, this happened, this happened. It's just compartmentalising everything. What, what do you, you moved to London? Yeah, moved to London 2007. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. So that was before you met Flick, yeah? Oh, no. Mm. No, I originally, um, what was I doing in New Zealand? I was losing faith in comedy. Right. <laughs> I had won a comedy award and I didn't really know what I was doing. I'd been doing the Tape Face show for a couple of years and so I had a one hour show up my sleeve and, but I didn't really know what. There's no real reason at the point comedy wasn't cool in New Zealand at that point. Interesting. It was sort of just being, a, it was a scene, did corporate work, faffed about and did, no, I had been doing some really cool shows and it had been, a, you know, I've done enough in New Zealand that most people had seen my act. Um, but then you just lost kind of faith and then a friend of mine said you should be a street performer and go to the Edinburgh Fringe Festival and so I went, oh, okay right. so busked up some money bought a ticket and, and went over there and then that was where I met, met Lily on the streets doing the thing and then um, yeah that was and it was my first real experience of international travel like I then from New Zealand I've been to Australia it doesn't really count no um, I would imagine that's much like going to Ireland yeah yeah <laughs> even though the distances are far far larger mm. Yeah. So there was that first moment of going, okay, now I'm out of my debt. So we, me and this guy, Sam J, we were in London for two weeks. Um, again, street performers really look after each other. There was another street performer, a wonderful guy called James James. He essentially gave us his flat in Brixton for the time we were there. He was away, and he just said, Keys are going to be here. You live in the flat for two weeks, and then we just busked in Covent Garden, and, and oh, we didn't come, we were on the South Bank. And it was a golden era of busking at that point because it was just me and Sam Jay on the South Bank doing three shows a day. It was incredible. Well, and I think that's quite hard to do now because it's oh, I'm so regulated. It's horrible. It's insane. Yeah. But also, my show was awful. So <laughs> I had a street show that was good in New Zealand. And right. so when I, and, and when I came over here, Sam Jay used to be one of my students at the circus school. So, uh-huh. so suddenly it was a really grounding experience to get completely blown out of the water by one of my students to just go, well, he's better than me over here. And so then I had two weeks to suddenly... What was the difference, is um, Because my street show in New Zealand was very much just a comedy late show, of me doing a series of tricks and then some vague comedy throughout the whole thing. Whereas over here, it's more structurally built. Like, you actually have to do a street show. It is that thing about building the crowd, entertaining, dragging it out. And there, it's an art form to drag out a trick. For sure. That's incredible. See, I always assumed that was a staple mm. um, of kind of street theatre or... Yeah, yeah, it was a street performance everywhere. Yeah, I think I was just a lazy busker. <laughs> <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't want to lose. I was that. so damn good at it. I, I just did the trick. So I just went, oh, here's a trick, here's another trick, here's another trick. Oh, we've run out of time, here's the last trick. Mm. 
Whereas, so, so essentially on the South Bank, I had my one suitcase of props, and then I would do a show, mm-hmm. and then we would have a quick discussion afterwards of going, right, well, that didn't work. Let's <laughs> change the order, and I'd do another show and change the order, till eventually I found an order that works as a structure of a show, and it's like, cool, this works. And so when I went to Edinburgh, I had another performer watch my show, and he sort of said to me, it, was, it had all the excitement and raw energy of a new performer, but there was this weird thing where I knew what I was doing, <laughs> which I really like. I, I think it's feedback. Very similar. Yeah. So I've been, um, I've been a full-time performer. I've been a full-time performer now for, I think this is my 11th year, mm-hmm. but for the first four or five years of it, my act was very straight. Mm. There was no comedy involved at all. I mean, I was, I was a De- Me Too, Devon Brown act. Um, and I just did corporates. Mm. Um, so when I made the active decision to move into comedy, and I, I started learning comedy, and I, I, the way I did that was I carried on my day job, which was yeah. doing corporate shows. Okay. Um, and, then... and at the same time, in between it, I was fitting in just stand-up gigs so I wasn't doing kind of comedy there's no mix mind mind reading at that point I was learning to be a comedian Mm -hmm. so that I could then take those skills and apply them to to the day job Mm. Um, and I found I accelerated really fast I I quit doing straight Mm stand-up if such a thing exists Um, at a point where I was getting paid middles just because I'd kind of felt I'd learnt enough and I felt I could do more combining the two but I kind of accelerated up really fast because I had all the performing jobs. Mm-hmm. I knew how to deal with an audience, I knew how yeah. to talk to an audience. Yeah. What I didn't have was material. Mm. The content. And, and yeah. It up. yeah. Hmm. So for, for my busking world, like I eventually got a vague street show, did the, the run in the first time in, in 2007 in Edinburgh. It was yeah. crazy and fun. And then when I came back the following year, I had... Yeah, I had one year to work on my street show with the intention of I'm going to busk properly in Edinburgh. So I took my, my bigger New Zealand street show, which is the big boxes and the whatnot, and mm-hmm. I really worked my ass off making the, the best possible street show I could. I busked non-stop in New Zealand for about a year, and, and yeah, when I came back over, I had a monster show, and that's when I started working in Covent Garden. That's um, interesting. Yeah, Covent Garden became my, my staple go-to place, and... Yeah, there was a for a time there was a, a nice little crew, another performer called Ruben Dot Dot Dots, who you might have hand balance it. No, I'm not going to say that. So, a really good street performer. And the, we, we arrived at a common garden at the same time, so we became very good friends and, uh-huh. and still friends to this day. And, and just worked through the ranks of busking and developing shows. And again, it's that, like you said, about being obsessive, we became obsessive about the art of a street show. I think that's so important. I think all the greatest artists in all genres. Hmm. You had a lot of experience in Edinburgh by doing street shows before doing your first. Is the the correct terminology soft soft seat show? Is that what is a soft what? I've never heard that. Okay. Soft seat show. Oh, okay. Indoors, yeah, yeah. Soft seat show. Um, Oh, you found something vaguely spicy. It's a chip Chip shop shop curry curry sauce. Um, I'm not sure that's traditionally um, a breakfast. I'll give it a whirl. Traditionally English, but I, I love this. Is your plate now? It's now very much resembling an artist's palate. Yeah, I'm just getting there. It's more, it's more about the sauce than the actual food. The food is merely just the brush to pick up the sauce. <laughs> um, um, what did I do? No, I bust and just researched. I researched the shit out of Edinburgh for three years. Wow. Sure. 
But the, I had a ridiculous goal of Edinburgh. I talked talk about this this year that I did a speech thingy at the start of Edinburgh because um, I, I wanted to win the Perrier Award. That was my goal. That was the only reason I went to Edinburgh because I wanted to win this award. Which of course you did. No, I didn't. Well, no, you no. won a award. Yeah, I didn't win it. No, no, I didn't. No. You, well, you, you got you got the um, what used to be called the Spirit of the Fringe Award. Yeah, the token. The, the token. You're not allowed to win the panel. <laughs> you're not allowed to win the Perrier Award. Yeah. Um, yeah, Flight of the Concords got nominated for the Perrier year when I was in New Zealand. Right. And when I saw that, it was like, holy shit. That's, that, and that made comedy respected as well, because local media really? was all over it. It was like, it was on the, three, the, the, the Channel 3 News. It was, it was a thing of going, this is a good thing to do. Mm. That's interesting. So there was that validation in there. So I just went, well, I want that. Yeah. And so when I started looking at the different ways of, you know, I had to do a show, I'd go and get my show over there, get the audience. I ran, went to Australia, ran my show out over and over and got the hype behind it. And then when we went to Edinburgh, it was like, I'm finally going to make it work. And then even, even when I did the first show, the first show got me nominated for Best Newcomer. Yeah. And then it was the second show that I really thought would be the one that would win the period. Because yeah. like, I've, I've built my following, I've established myself as an act, here's the biggest show I can possibly do, it's fucking hilarious, and uh, even it's um, proud as fuck of it. 2012. 2012. 2012 was here. Was that 10? Yeah, 11. Yeah, 2012. Yeah, yeah. 2012 yeah. was here in the Grand. And it was a, a really big show. And that was the show that I wrote in three months, panicking for Adelaide. <laughs> yeah. One. But um, but yeah, and then it was a case that of was the '99 Red Balloons one. Yep. Do you remember one. seeing those those um, balloons. white balloons with the mm-hmm. "This is a red balloon" mm-hmm. everywhere? Yeah. Again, I, I, I'd overthought every aspect of that show. I wanted it to be the, the biggest experience possible, and so it was incredibly frustrating to then be told you're not eligible to be nominated. What, what made you ineligible then? Uh, my venue was too big. Oh, of course it would be. Yes. Yeah. Of course, it has to be under under, under five hundred. Under five hundred. Under five hundred seats. Yeah. Cool for for the war, mm. and uh, no, it wasn't. And that was frustrating because I wasn't completely aware of that. But well, you kind of, I think, I think kind of means that you did win it, though, doesn't it? Mm. Well, again, it's this. I became this because I. Uh, here's a weird thing. Well, it's not that weird. It's just a bit silly. Um, I because I left school. I have no qualifications, oh, so okay. I have no no education, no bits of lots. Everything is very much Wikipedia and Google. <laughs> <laughs> but I became obsessed about awards. I've always been. I used to be madly obsessed about awards. So I would have to oh, win. Really? I have to win an award once a year. <laughs> and I, and I did for I think eleven years. I would target an award and go, I'm going to win that. That's and, and So I'm, what would you say your strike rate is on that? No, pretty good. Every, every year I'd win an award. Yeah. Amazing. I had to. Otherwise I would fail. It was just, and this was a That's weird one. Like the worst one was when I it crept right through to a December I won some award. It was like, shit, that was close. Wow. <laughs> but the problem is, ultimately, you're going to run out of awards. Oh, yeah, that was the thing. But then it was also that mindset of going, why am I doing this? And then it was... It was. I realised that I started treating awards as qualifications. Yes. As, so as, that was, and that's why the Perrier was the equivalent of that's my. That's your That's my degree. degree. Yeah. That's your absolutely. Degree, yeah. yeah. And then it was the thing of just realising, actually, awards are really stupid. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and there's a brilliant, brilliant video of Jerry Seinfeld, 
mm-hmm. of his um, a speech where he's, uh, he's exhibiting an award, and it's called All Awards Are Stupid. I highly recommend watching it on YouTube. Oh, fabulous. It's I'm one of the funniest videos I've ever seen, where he just destroys the concept of an award. You know, he says, you know, how everyone has an award. Their awards only exist, and they're stupid, and they're pointless. And, and, exactly, and they he's exactly right. They don't do anything. That but, said... I'm still very grateful and still putting my two on, on all of my posters. Of course. Oh, yeah, you're not going to, yeah. you know. But Joe Publin doesn't know or care about awards to the point that, no, of course you know, the, the number of comedians who are half making up awards to go mm. on posters is bullshit. Mm. There used to be an award in New Zealand, which actually appeared in Edinburgh this year, which really surprised me. It was an award for best poster. Mm. I remember thinking that is the stupidest award. It's such a bizarre thing, isn't it? Because normally it's not even done by the act. No. Well, that was the, I remember, I, again, being partially obsessive about it, in New Zealand I decided, well, this is the dumbest award I've ever heard of. I must win it. And so there was one year that I wasn't doing the Comedy Festival in New Zealand, but I had a friend, make, we, we made a poster of a, of a non-show that I was doing. And so I did, did a poster, and like I did a fairly huge poster campaign. These were big posters that <laughs> venues were letting me put up where I was advertising the boiler tape on his face at the biggest venue in Auckland. It was huge. It was like the Civic. It was a 2,000-seater two, kind of thing. It was huge, and all the publicity. It was the, the can't-see show of 2007. It was like all the bad jokes all over the poster. And everyone was in on it. Everyone totally knew what was going on. A few people tried to book tickets. It was fabulous. Uh, but I wasn't allowed to win that award oh, because, because, I, because I wasn't in the festival. So it was like, oh my goodness, okay, fine. So the next year, me being me, I, I registered a show called The Poster Show. And so I got a wardrobe and another friend, we hung out for a wee while and we, we built this wardrobe that, that when you open, you can only open the doors a little bit and to peek inside and see the poster because the whole idea of the show was that to see my poster you had to give me a dollar and then you could see the poster and it became this experience where, and, and you got to see, you got a badge that said I love poster and so, so when the door opened you could peek inside, there was a little, kind of, a little grass area with some little animals looking up at a poster and it was a picture of Kate face in there. Kate, Classical music was playing, there was fairy lights inside and bubbles would fly over the top of you and, and we built it inside the, the foyer of the comedy club and so it would be a thing that, you know, two in the morning on a Saturday night, everyone's pissed out of their mind and I would make an announcement, ladies and gentlemen, the poster show is now open. Amazing. If you would like to see the poster, come and see this. And so, what, what, what I like about that is, in many ways, so the, the entire... Production was was oh. a, it's an installation poster. Oh, absolutely, it yeah, yeah, it was a How? huge thing. Please tell me that one. Oh, oh absolutely, oh, yeah, the one the award for, and and the, the roar of, of happiness that went up when people were in the, when the poster show won the poster. What was ridiculous was then it got commissioned to go to Melbourne Comedy Festival, <laughs> and so while I was doing my show, I, I was a joke asked, that's gone too far. Yeah, I was asked to perform the poster show at Trades Hall, so they got me another wardrobe, and this time. I scaled up, and, and we made it a living installation. So, so I, I got I got my poster. I got it blown up, and I got me cut out of it. And so then, you were sitting in it. So I would stand in the poster. So there was this weird experience where you would pay a dollar, you would come forward, you step in, and there I would be stood, and it was like you know you're thirty centimeters away That's from my amazing. face. I'd be taped up, and you 
just be there for a minute and it would be an awkward thing, then I would, I would give you a badge. I remember Mark Watson coming in and me fanning out completely because I loved him. He was just so funny. He's a funny so dude. And he's a great comic. And so suddenly for him to appear in front of my face, and then I had this weird 30 seconds of him just kind of giggling going, oh, this is, this is pretty funny. <laughs> no, I didn't. I just, you wanted to I just stared at him and it, was, it gave him a button and sent him on his way. And it just became this weird little thing that I did at these poster shows. It was so That's so much fun. Yeah, but I, I think I prefer those. I like those little moments of the silliness of those, those odder shows. Those, they're the fun. Again, they are the creative parts. They become, that's for me where I get to be in, in brackets an artist. Exactly and right. There's no reason. Because, to, you know, it's not going to make any money. I it's think, just being silly. I think the, the creative of our job is when we're producing a product. Oh, yeah. Not necessarily when we're delivering that product. Yeah. Um, and sometimes you have to kind of you have to temper what you want to do with commercial reality. Oh yeah. So yeah. when you've got a, a standalone small project like that, you can do what the hell you want. Mm. I think yeah. it has much more artistic validity yeah. quite often than the show. Like it was really good last year doing the Tape Face Christmas special. Mm-hmm. Like that was a ridiculous show. Like that was essentially I'd been working with the director and we'd been playing out all these ideas and a lot of the ideas that I was just going, they're too off the wall. They're, I would never put these in a show. And he was like, well, that's why you have that's to do why it. That's yeah. yeah. so, Okay, so we did this one-off show of material that I will never do in public. <laughs> <laughs> but the audience that came to see it, it was just this, and it was a real, for me, that was the closest to an Edinburgh show I will ever do. Because my Edinburghs have always been so product-based. Yes. Whereas there are other performers who go to Edinburgh with their, you know, incredible artistic ideas and creativity and whatnot. Whereas for me... It's all about going. I'm making. Gonna, a, I'm making a product that I will yeah. be touring around small towns. Exactly, exactly yeah. right. Exactly right. Um, and I think. I think it's interesting. That there's a. I think there's a huge dichotomy between the the engines that drive Edinburgh. I think hmm. you've got on the one hand a desire to just create and just get it seen, hmm. and on the other, all sorts of commercial pressures, and historically acts like you and me went to Edinburgh to hone a show mm. to yeah. tour yeah, yeah. You know, and that's pretty much what I use it for that and a shop window yeah but, but now you know, it, people to, to book it now it seems the format's changing again because now people are going to Australia and New Zealand to mm. own their shows coming over to the, the UK and they're going here's a polished product because mm. they're getting the reviews you need to get the reviews straight away and that sells the tour yeah mm. well again I think that dynamic's changing because the more credible end of the reviews is obviously mm. the nationals. Mm. The nationals aren't really covering it no. anymore. So, not going. Yeah, it's a it's a an interesting beast setting, but I think I think it's interesting how key it seems to me from the outside looking in. Mm. It's been to your life, even the fact that you you, you originated in, yeah. in a town that was effectively called Edinburgh. Um, mm. And you know, you met your, your wife there. Yeah. Um, oh, it's become a huge. Like when I when I do go there, like we was, I was going through for some some of the Gilded Balloon shows, just doing lineup shows. Yeah. And just going walking around Edinburgh when the festival's not on. I love that. <laughs> it's beautiful. But I have it's this, such a different city. I described it to my wife as that, that feeling of walking under under an ocean because I yeah. feel like you're pushing through all of these memories and just mm-hmm. this incredible. Moment. And it's still, I love walking into Edinburgh. I love walking up the hill and I stand. I always stop up on the corner and. Have that, I relived that same moment of when I first arrived in 2007. I stood on the street corner, I looked up, and it was fucking 
fucking incredible. It was. And still, which, which corner is that? Coburn and the High Street. Uh-huh. Yeah. I had a feeling that's yeah, where you were. So walk up the, from the mile, from the train station, stood there, and we were trying to find the flat. And I remember just looking around, going, "Holy shit, this is I'm out of my depth." <laughs> and it was wonderful. It was like this incredibly good, good feeling. I mean, I'm always slightly stunned that you. You actively choose to stay oh, on the wrong one. God, I love it. I can't be anywhere away from it. Uh, it's a, I might be in the thick of it. Yeah, but the flat now, we've been there, what, four years, five years? Mm-hmm. Overlooking the main pitch. I think that's also because I'm not a busker anymore. Yeah. Does it make you feel connected to it? Hell yeah. I just watch street shows. It's so good. So I just hang out the window watching street performing. And because I get to watch it, then I get to feel as though... If I'm keeping that part of my brain, critiquing it and, uh-huh. and judging the window of judgment. <laughs> <laughs> I love the idea. I love the idea of you sitting there like one half of Waldo and State. Oh yeah, it's yeah. Oh, my God, it's horrendous. And then um, the downside is that as much as you get to watch all the good shows, you get to see some shit as well, which is awful. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's, I've seen my fair share of bad street performing. Mm-hmm. But then that makes me, you know, more critical of the whole, you know, why is it bad? You know, record part and mm-hmm. Yeah, I think. The critical part of your your mind, once mm. you stop being critical and analytical, mm. I think that's probably the point at which you stop being an artist. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Like I, I think, um, again, with your own work, you end up being, you are the toughest critic. Mm-hmm. Like, nothing is ever going to be up to my standard. I'm always going to, you know, Absolutely. even with this tour show, it's like, it's not quite, <laughs> it's hitting its paces, but it's not going to be quite good enough. It's always going to change that, that That's way, great, yeah. because it does mean you've got a reason to still be alive next mm, year. Yeah, <laughs> make it better. Yeah, make it better all the time. Mm. So, okay, back to breakfast briefly. Yeah. Interesting as this. You've left your tomato, as indeed have I. Mm-hmm. Does anyone eat the tomato? Don't know. I'm not a what, fan. Is, is it the least popular item on a on a big breakfast? Did you call it a big breakfast? Yeah, it's a big yeah. breakfast, yeah. I think it's there for colour. Yeah. It's, it's essentially colour. garnish. Mm. I think they could actually replace them with heated plastic models. The only, no time, one know. the only time I really go for tomato is marmite and tomato on toast. Covered wow. in Wow. Yeah. So we talk me through that construction because that, that sounds like the whole kind of uh, oh, cream and jam scone thing. Yeah, you're going to get Marmite first? Marmite first, that's right, right okay. because you, you need your tomato to absorb the layer of pepper that's got to go on it. Like, <laughs> like, it, should look like, it should look like it's been dropped in gravel. <laughs> it's just fucking covered. Um, and then you go into the whole Marmite discussion of what is the right Marmite. New Zealand what Marmite. What do you mean? Whoa, 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 there are different varieties well, of Marmite. New Zealand Marmite is the best Marmite. <laughs> See, I'm aware of Vegemite. No, 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 no. New Zealand Marmite is like a black, thick tar, and it's really good. It's really So really is good. it the same branding and everything? No, it's a sanitarium maker, so it's... Um, sanitarium? Sanitarium maker, yeah, by the Metallica song. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, so it's, really, it's made from the dark part of your skull. It looks at, it's a black <laughs> nice. Like, in UK Marmite is kind of brown, it's got a, uh-huh. um, a, a thinner texture. The New Zealand Marmite is just paste. It's so good, and it's so rich. It's so... It's so See, now, that's, that's now gone on my bucket list. Oh, good. Send, I, you, I send you a jar of it. Send me some. Yeah, I mean, if I come back to New Zealand, I, I fill a suitcase of Marmite. <laughs> so good. And you yeah. spread that on as thick as anything. Like, as, again, Marmite, some people go, you know, a couple of dots here and there, but no, yeah. I'm a layer it on. See, I'm slowly grown, because I hated Marmite. Yeah. Then I was persuaded to the point where what, what I used to literally do with it when I first started was just flavour the butter yeah, slightly with work. Marmite. Yeah, yeah Marmite. Now, I'm now like into Layer the layers. Off. Yeah, Marmite on toast with a poached egg as well. Oh, that sounds no, good. No, I've not no. tried that. Yeah, that sounds really amazing. Good. And uh, Marmite spaghetti. 
Yeah. Mum likes spaghetti. Yeah, yeah, just grab a good fresh pasta, cook it up, a bit of oil, and a big dollop tablespoon of marmite, stir it through. Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> it's really good. It's really, really good. Yeah. So, what's, what's the usual <coughs> breakfast food routine in uh, in um, the house of the house of Wills? Uh, no, I don't do breakfast. That's that's do you know? no, no. I'm normally coffee. I will normally just drink coffee. And I know it's bad. I should really drink breakfast. I drink eat breakfast, and I should on tour, especially eat breakfast. Yeah. I buy little porridges occasionally. Really? And do little those takeaway hotel porridge every now and then. But I never bother with hotel breakfast because it's. Mm. It's often poor. It's often really bad, yeah. and, and the little you know premier ins and whatnot are just mm. not good breakfast. Um, no. Try and find by, by the time I get up and function, it's midday. Yeah, so I kind of understand that. We do work different hours. I mean, I have to say, I think as inspired ideas go, somebody doing my job, interviewing other people doing my job. At breakfast is, I think you'll agree, just the work of genius. <laughs> this is your poster show. <laughs> you are doing this with no one else. <laughs> this, what's interesting is this is the earliest one I've ever done I really so far. Ten o'clock is the earliest one. Really good. And I, I did wonder. I did wonder if maybe. Uh, you know, I should I should keep up some sort of pretense that this is actually happening at like eight AM. No, they they know who we are or what we knows. do. Everyone knows it's not going to work like that. No, I think what breakfast is. Yeah, it's always coffee. I drink a lot of coffee, right? which is interesting. You've only had the white. I know. I'm about to order another. Quite right too. Yeah. Well, no, that'll be third or fourth for the day. Oh, been, really? Well, I also travel with my own coffee kit. Like, whoa, whoa, whoa! Talk me through the world's <laughs> coffee kit. Okay. I grab this attention first. Excuse me. Can I grab another one of those? Yes, sir. And another yeah, pot of pot tea, pot please. Do you want an orange so, juice or anything? No, no. I'm now, I'm now worried about your vitamin intake. No, yeah. <laughs> so I've got um, a hand-pressed coffee espresso maker. So Yeah, so what, what it is, it's, uh, where did I find it? It's on Amazon. It popped up. Actually, it popped up on a Facebook feed. I thought, I need this in my life. So it's this tiny little, it looks like a little bullet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, actually, it looks like a magic bullet kind of size thing. Right. All you need is your coffee grinds and your kettle. You add your hot water to the base of the tank, screw it in. It comes with you add your coffee, screw it or lock it together. Uh-huh. And then when you turn it upside down, pull out the pump. And you pressurise. It's pressurised. Oh. So you pump it. So it's proper espresso. Proper espresso. Bangs the, the, the good 30 mils of really good coffee out. And so in, in the hotel room, I can make my own long blacks, Americanos, and, or just double shot espresso as best thing in the morning. Fantastic! So, there is so much effort that goes into it, and the, clean, <laughs> the cleaning of it is a nightmare. Do you have like a special cleaning kit with like rods? No, and, no, it's, oh, just, it's, really it's in the sink. Everything goes in the sink, and just coffee grinds all over the thing. <laughs> it's the poor premier ends. Have you seen? Hotels. I really wanted to see it. It was actually it was in here in Norwich um, last week, but guess what? I had a gig. Um, Getting to see other people's work is so hard, isn't it? Because, and considerately, they're working the same time you are. Um, but have you seen George Eggshow? Uh, yes, yes, yes. Oh, I haven't seen it, but I know of it because I'm furious about it. Furious? Because, really? Well, that was, that was going to be my third show. That was, that really? Because I, I loved the idea. I'd been touring for, this was in 2013, and I was... 
had been on tour for way too long. <laughs> we and I was cooking in hotel rooms. I was literally Fantastic. living out of the kettle and making my own foods and bits and pieces. And then I thought it'd be really funny the idea of Take Face, a character without a mouth, cooking a meal. Yes. And so the, the, I know I wanted to make a meal for yeah. the audience, and it was like really I wanted all my props. So I wanted the the toaster to catch fire. So I would toast a marshmallow. That would go on the hot chocolate. That would be this whole yeah. ridiculous thing. And so so, I was, so all, all of the so you'd have items, but they would malfunction. They would all malfunction. Everything and would then break. you'd yeah. actually find no, they're not malfunctioning yeah, at all. Yeah. In take phase, yeah. well, that's perfect. That's, I'm yeah, not yeah. on fire. I can toast some wieners. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's the goal of it all. So I was working on this idea, and then this guy George Egg appears, and like, he's been doing he's been doing the show for Again, years. Another prop act. Another prop yeah. act. Yeah. He's been he's been doing his thing for ages. He's got this incredible show. I've got no idea who he is. And so it's like, oh my god, is he? Couldn't have somebody else going, oh, but I've been taping my face for 20 years now. <laughs> so furious because there's that thing of going, that was my idea for a show, yeah. but it's like at the same time, it's, there's nothing new under the sun. Um, I think you, you like me, you kind of you straddle a, a number of worlds. Yeah. Um, so you kind of you have a foot in cabaret, you have a foot in yeah. sort of juggling skills. And The downside with that is that there's, there is a legitimate feeling of you don't fit into any of them, mm-hmm. which is I, I, really odd. Yeah. You and me both, it's, yeah. it's such a which I don't mind because it's always that feeling of I'm always going to be the outsider. I've grown up feeling like an uh-huh. outsider and someone different, so I was like, well, I might as well maintain it in the job. In, in many ways, <laughs> that, the, the t- take place is yeah. an outsider. He yeah, feels yeah. very because maybe I'm protected too much. No, 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 but because he's silent and, and he le- there's that basic human communication is yeah. lost yeah. and he's communicating through other means. He is. Always, I feel sort of estranged and distant oh, yeah, yeah. From, from the audience. No matter how much he's interacting, no matter how much they love him, yeah, they he's still, always a distance. Yeah, yeah, it's been interesting watching the the new audience that have come to the character who have connected with him on a depressed level. On a people, really, people who suffer from depression who have gone, I really identify with this character because I feel as though I can't speak in public situations oh, wow. and I feel I feel weird and whatnot. Which is why I've been really proactive about. The, the, the concept of staying weird, like it's a, yes, it's I've a, seen I'm that. trying to really push that as part of that. the brand of Tate Facts of going stay weird, stay who you are. It's like you have to just be yourself. Thank you so much. Coffee. Um, you suddenly realise that you are quite the expert on it because you go through it and you see yeah, everything. Exactly and so right. It's very easy for me to go. Well, this is how I felt for most of my life, so it's easy to go. Well, this is what I'm imagining the audience that I have are going to feel like. Yeah, so, absolutely. But now it becomes that thing of going, what? at what point do you start being more proactive about it? Like for me, I think the long-term goal for me is like I've always referred to fans of my show as we, I've, I've nicknamed them silent ones. Yes. Because the idea, I love the idea of them being the noisiest people I know. <laughs> they, they're the ones, thank you, that was incredible. I've, I've always felt the irony, the irony about you is you are one of the most garrulous people I've ever met. <laughs> The fact that the, the reason you decided to, you decided to take your face is almost because, a bet for yourself yeah, yeah, yeah. that you wouldn't I can't, do can't shut a up. silent routine. Oh, God, yeah, I talk, <laughs> I talk way too much. I talk too fast, and it's, uh, yeah, I'm de- I am fairly loud and outspoken about nearly everything. Um, yeah, I've got an opinion on everything, so it's very hard to, to shut yeah, me up most of right. Yeah, but, but the idea of, um, yeah, using the character now for a better cause and a bigger cause that I never thought I'd ever be able to do. That's so I'm, I'm trying now to go, well, what is the... What do I really identify with? And even in the past, sort of for me, six to eight months, 
actually even longer, yeah, the last year, where I've sort of been rediscovering who I feel Tapeface was and should have always been. Hence the, the change the makeup the and the change up and the look and the whatnot has made me become more confident and identifying with who I am, which is now to go, well, I don't, I don't give a shit anymore. It's so good <laughs> to just go, well, this is how I am and I'm going to stay this way and you either like me or you don't. And it's that easy. That's fabulous. Yeah. That moment of kind of, I think it's called self-actualization, oh, isn't it? God, yeah. It's just, it's Wonderful. such a beautiful thing. Yeah. And, and I think it's something that can happen to people again and again and again in their lives because we're, where all of us are constantly oh. moving Regions. work, yeah. um, we're all just we're all just products of our, our continued experience. Yeah, I think. but you try and explain that to a teenager who's going to school. Sure, it's fucking horrible. But yeah, it's, you've got to be an old fucker like yeah. me to actually get that. Yeah, yeah. So, and, and I'm also really. I'm, I'm very proactive on social media where I communicate with my fans a lot. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I try and do my best. It's, it's fucking hard work. Like, at one point, I was losing about six to seven hours a day just wow. messaging and, and contacting. It's that and, obsessive thing again, though. Yeah, it is, because I If you want to do it, you want to do it yeah, to the I best to, you possibly can. Yeah, it's, it's, I have a responsibility to, yeah. they've sent a message, I, they deserve a reply. And yeah. so it's like, and they're, they're understanding now that I can't reply to every Facebook message, I can't reply to every Instagram, I can't reply to, I try and do my best to everything. Um, but, and when some pop up that are really important, which are like, like even last night I was doing a show, I get to interval, and I'm talking to somebody who's wanting to kill themselves. And it's like, oh shit, I'm not, via, via, yeah, social via, via social media, where it's like, I'm not qualified to do this, but I can tell I, you I, from I, my I've experiences of this, here's what I think you should go and do. Talk to as many people as you can, get some help, here's where are, where are you? And just doing the basics of what I kind of feel like a friend person would do. Or actually yeah. not even a friend, it's just what a fucking human would human do. Would do you just go, here's where you are, this is a hotline, these are the people you can talk to, there are people out there to talk to. And so, but then it's like, okay, that's interval over, yeah. back let's, to the show. Let's, yeah, let's yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's the contrasting world of the, that you know, being the happy clown who then is the, the kind of go-to guy where people think yeah. it's all fine. I, I have the thing where, because obviously kind of I do uh, a, a comedy mentalism act, um, it happens less frequently for me now, but the way it was more straight and I did a lot of TV in Holland, yeah. I used to get an awful lot of, uh, you know, I'm going to kill myself, you're the only person that can help me, the only person that can possibly understand me. Yeah. And um, I don't get it quite so much anymore because I'm... I'm really very clear about the fact that what I'm doing is yeah, yeah. isn't real in yeah, that yeah. sense. Um, but yeah, it's a it's a horrific responsibility. Yeah, it is, and it is that thing where I have to make sure that I'm being safe to myself and going, I can't take all this on. It's yeah. not my responsibility to look after all of these these broken Absolutely. broken people because you know at the same time you know you've it sounds horrible but you have to break. Yeah. You have to break to become the better person. You have to evolve and go through it. And oh, certainly, I think many people have to. Yeah, true. Yeah. Um, I think possibly successful people, or I don't mean necessarily successful in a financial sense, but just successful yeah, in the sense of yeah, yeah. being yeah, yeah. A, a better person. Better person. You've got to go through various oh, changes true. and evolution. So, uh, one of the things I'm asking everybody um, about my, my, my mm-hmm. source theory I'm asking people two questions. Yep. Um, the first question is, um, when I used to have a proper grown-up job... What? When? Oh, when I had a proper grown-up yeah. job. I realised that you haven't. Oh, Have no, you've never I, had a I, job, I, I had one job. Did you? I, what, I worked in a video store. Did you? Yeah, yeah, I worked in a video store for That's quite about cool. a year and a half. It was incredible. It was... Um, I'm trying to think of, it was very much like the stereotypical American movie. There was a bunch <laughs> of us in a small town. Uh, we, we, Me and my best mate 
pretended not to know each other to go and to go in for the interviews. That's amazing. So you engineered, we engineered being able to be at work because and watch they, they, they they made a point of saying that you can't. You, they didn't want anyone to know anyone before going, so they wanted a new team to form. So we went, oh hello, who are you? I'm Aaron. I'm Sam. Nice to meet you. And we just we just got on. <laughs> just bonded like that. Yeah. So he became. He actually ended up becoming the engineer. He worked upstairs doing. He fixed all the video. He was all technical and whatnot. And I worked downstairs in the store. And then yeah, it was me and a bunch of other people. But it was yeah we. The manager was really fun. He was really good. It was a bit like Empire Records. That's my only association <laughs> to it. I, I, I'm, thinking, I'm sitting here thinking it sounds like a Kevin Smith movie. Oh, yeah, it was yeah. a bit. I remember getting caught by, by the manager when we were all dancing on the counters, blasting music. <laughs> and also, this was when PlayStation just came out. Oh, my And so goodness. I used to close the video store on a Sunday. It would still be there Monday. <laughs> no, I would, take, I would take everything. Like, I, would, I could scan everything out to myself. We were allowed to hire as many things as we want Amazing. for free. So I would scan... 40 games and a PlayStation <laughs> to myself. Go around to my friend's house. We would all meet there and we would play games all night. And as long as I got it back to the shop by 10 a.m., it was all fine. Fabulous. It's so good. It's, I quite so like, it's, 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 it's almost like the, uh, the 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 worker equivalent of of the little gnomes that come out. Oh like, yeah, oh, yeah. Toys coming to life. I quite like that. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so, do all sorts of, yeah. Watch lots of films. Watch, yeah, but it was hardly a real job because it was, you know, it's a video store. Yeah. You're watching, watching movies and telling people, you should watch this, watch this, play this game, do this. That's the yeah. closest to a real job I've ever had. And what else did I do? Oh, I briefly worked in a magic shop. Did you? Yeah, that was just. That was that like here? Or? Well, I had to. I, I wanted to get a credit card. <laughs> so you had to have a grown-up job. I had to have a grown-up job. And oh, I, really? I went to the bank and they said you're a street performer. You don't have any sort of income. And it's like, well, yeah, I do. And they went, yeah. oh, you need you to get a job. I do. And they just I, produced a huge hat full of money. I literally had to go to the, the magic shop. The guy there gave me a job, presented me with a kind of jokey contract. I took it back to the bank. Took it back to the bank the afternoon. They gave me a credit card. And, and that was that was your sole employment. That was my employment. And, and, and <laughs> me. And I totally was there with the teller who I'd spoken to, but like you know, two hours beforehand, and they were just like they totally knew the situation, they knew it was all bullshit, and they just went, "It's paperwork, we have to do it." So like, I totally get it, but you know, I might not have this job in a month. <laughs> and <I> went, oh, well. <laughs> that's but, yeah. amazing. Please tell me you've got that on your CV. If that's not on your shop. Wikipedia page, <laughs> but I'm going to make sure it goes, it goes on your Wikipedia the, page. Uh, briefly worked in the magic shop. <laughs> And the guy I remember working for, that he told me, oh, it'd be a great job, I could just end up doing magic tricks all day. Admittedly, I was cleaning shelves all the time, hardly <laughs> doing magic tricks. But yeah, it was good fun. Yeah, yeah. retail is retail. Yeah, is there it? is. Yeah, yeah, you always have to clean a shelf and vacuum. Ugh. In my own career, at one point I worked for Daily Telegraph. Okay. Um, back in the days of uh, Conrad Black. Um, and um, I used to arrive at the same time in the Telegraph car park in time to get the Telegraph shuttle bus to the Telegraph in the, uh, the in Canary Wharf yeah. at exactly the same time each day as Boris Johnson. Ha. So we used to get the same shuttle bus and I inevitably ended up behind Boris Johnson in the queue at the Telegraph um, canteen. Okay. My question to you is, and I've, I've observed this, what colour sauce does Boris Johnson have on his bacon sandwiches? Does he have brown sauce? See, yeah, Tomato feel, sauce or no sauce at all. I kind of feel like you planted the seed early on with the <laughs> concept of Damn the, you where, where you think the brown sauce should be or not. I think he would be. Red sauce. Brown sauce. Red sauce. Brown sauce. Which sauce would you 
to tomato sauce. Yes! <laughs> That's the sort of despicable man he is. Exactly, as you said earlier, that real men have browns. He's the sort of weasel that puts tomato <laughs> ketchup. Might as, well, might as well put a fully fresh cooked tomato in there, the prick. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so next one. Um, I don't know if uh, if you will know this person, so I'll, I'll ask you right. to phrase it. So, um, my question to you is: one of my other guests is Bethany Black. Yes. What colour sauce does Bethany have? Bethany Black would have a. See, see, brown sauce. Is it, is, do I have a limited options or no, like, no, unlimited any options. unlimited options of sauce? Sauce that would it help you if I gave you the yeah, give me a the context of, of sandwich? Of which, <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm prepared to tell this you. This is which. like that scene in City Slickers <laughs> where they're matching the Ben and Jerry's ice cream. Exactly, to every yeah. meal. it's a skill. <laughs> so, <stupid. laughs> so she, I'll tell you what she had yeah. and where she had it. So okay. we were in. We were in the northern quarter of uh, Manchester. Obviously. Uh, clearly. <laughs> yeah. um, in a place called the Coffee Pot. Yeah. Which is a long-term kind of uh, mad fritz yeah. hangout. Um, and she had... Uh, I'm a, actually visualising this. You know, that, this <laughs> it feels a bit ridiculous. She but. had a vegetarian cooked breakfast. Okay. Vegetarian cooked breakfast. And what was the sauce going on? Oh, sauces on options, the sauce options were simply red, red brown. brown, or no. No, okay. I think I think she'd go no sauce. Interesting. Interesting. I'm going to actually publish a leak tape. I think I think I'm actually going to give the the answers to this at the end, perhaps of the sea of the season. The season. But um, but um, but no. I'll tell you the answer now. Yeah, yeah. But just won't go into air. What did she bleed? What did she bleed? No, does she? No, does she bleed? If she bleeds, we can kill her. Is she a bit safer? So I want to talk to you about America's Got Talent. Obviously, you went on, you did the first yes. audition, and yes. it went, it just blew up, yeah. velocity virally. Yeah, although it's, it was interesting watching the social media side of this season go up, like this, previous seasons haven't been that strong, social media. Oh, really? So it was like this year, like, they got so many viral videos out of all the different acts. Like, well, yours, yours just blew up on yeah, day one, didn't it? Yeah, it was huge, it was busy, yeah. busy, busy, yeah, so we're in silly numbers watching it. But I think also because what I was doing was international, so everyone around the world could tune and that's the beauty, I yeah. think, of your act. And what I've always envied, if I'm honest about your act, is, is you know, you can do it in literally any country and yeah, at corporates. You don't even have to worry if people are listening. Just yeah, turn just the music, music up. Yeah, drown them out. Know? Drown them out and go for it. It's yeah. just amazing. Yeah, it does work uh, a treat. You know, salutations for... Uh, the kudos for for having realised the yeah. genius thing. Of, yeah, yeah, just brilliant. Yeah. So has that? I mean, it must have uh, impacted positively. Oh, the hell yeah, yeah. The, the plan was to always go on it to. It's the horrible thing of it is exposure. Like I, if they have talent scouts that run around the world looking for different people mm-hmm. and, and finding bits and bobs. And, and we've been asked for a wee while if I'd consider going on this sort of show. Like I've been every year I've been asked to go on France has got talent. I get asked right. to go on Germany's got talent. I get asked. Um, to I, go I on along with our mutual friend Matt Ricardo, Ricardo, yeah, who we will bring back into this conversation shortly, um, have have. 
uh, uh, one of the few people that are no longer asked to go and oh, bring cool. talent okay, for the same reasons because yeah. we've effectively told them we're not terribly keen yeah. on well, I had, a, I had a really big discussion with one of the um, talent scouts in Edinburgh when they were saying would I consider going on the show and you know blah 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 and then them trying to say to me well the prize is you get to do the Royal Variety and it's like I've done the Royal Variety I, did, I literally did it the year before and, and they weren't aware and it's like well I've kind of won your prize this uh-huh. is the pointless thing of it all but for me I wanted to I want to start going into the States and start doing shows. It makes absolute sense. And I looked at, like, when I moved from Australia, New Zealand to Australia to, to, I was doing my stuff over there, to come over to this country, it took me six years, six and a half years to be known, to be on the the scene, to have have a certain amount of clout. Whereas to do that in America, I would have to move to LA, I have to start working again. It was going to take. Almost impossible. Yeah, it was going to take another seven or eight years. It's like, I don't have time for that. Because actually, it's it's 52 countries. Oh, yeah, it's it's insane. Ludicrous. So it was happening going, this will be the best way I can get the exposure. Uh-huh. And, and it's just a question of whether or not it would work. And I was lucky enough that they liked what I did. Mm-hmm. They they were in control of all the edits. They made it look good. And, and, and they ran with it. And like, we had a few agreements in place where I said I would never talk on the show. And that was yep, one of the things I... And that, that was so important. Yeah. It's like, there's no, God, there was nothing worse than me going, as a performer, I believe, all right, yeah. would kill it so much. So I just became the permanent oddity on the show. Yeah. And like, I know the format of these shows. I know that they yeah. want to have something a wee bit weirder. So I will be the weird factor in the show. It was fine. And so for me, it is that thing of, for, for me, like I knew that they wanted me to be that oddity. So yeah. it was going to be fine for me to keep being weird. Again, they it's one of those situations where the character you've created plays that person. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. And like, it was a joy for me also because any time there was an interview of going, can you tell us about No, <laughs> nope. can't do anything. Can't do that. Can't do that. That's always yeah. fun. That's great. But yeah, the exposure side of things, that's definitely blown open some doors. And like, yeah. everyone's aware of the character. So now it's also a chance for us to go, right, here's the show. And the, yeah. the best thing is that I'm not just going, here's a weird little three minute clip. It's like, uh-huh. I've got the chops to back it up with Absolutely. a two hour show, yeah. a Broadway show. Well, presumably, I mean, you have to do what, five appearances on Yeah, show? yeah. Like, I burned yeah. through a lot of content. A lot of people were messaging me saying, are you going to do something new? And it's like, are you out of your mind? Yes. No. <laughs> of this was, this, unsurprisingly, yeah. I brought my A game. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and again, I'd, I'd structured it in such a way of, uh, I'm, I'm such a control freak anyway that, that I was trying to plan out. I, I'm, from day one, I was going, right, for the finals, I'm going to do this, uh-huh. knowing that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get to the finals. I will make uh-huh. the finals. So that was the plan, is to always structure the routines backwards. And so even when I did one routine that didn't land very well with the audience, is the gunfight routine. Oh, really? The, the audience, really? The audience didn't like it. Really? No, they, they, were, they were okay like with it, but they a lot of people were saying that it wasn't good enough and it's like oh, of no. course it wasn't good enough we're holding back <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, don't, I don't need it to be good enough I, actually no I do need it to be just good enough well, I, think the, uh, I think yeah exactly yeah. I think the pattern is you do perhaps your second strongest piece of yeah, material yeah. first yeah, yeah. hold your strongest to the end hold them later and, yeah. yeah but then even for me it's like I knew that I wasn't I probably wasn't doing my strongest because I want my strongest to be in my live show because yeah. my, my other intention which was spoiler alert I never wanted to win the damn thing yeah, yeah of course because that's again coming back to the tape face ethics of it all that's another big message I'm trying now to get across my audience of going winning isn't everything it's not which, which, which is ironic for a man so obsessed with the yeah, law yeah but 
been that sunny now because I'm not. Only I, yeah, you go through. I've been yeah. through ten years. You've of been through that to just go we, shit. You've and then yeah, Don't yeah. get into this habit where you believe that you have to do these things and this is the be all. And people are sending me messages saying, oh, "I hope you're going to keep performing." It's like, are you out of your mind? Of course I am. What are you going to do now that America's Got Talent's finished? It's probably well. I'm going to That's do the same. So I'm going to do the thing I was doing before the show. But more people would come. Yeah. Have you found it's having effects on audiences here? In terms oh yeah, of yeah. Like it's yeah. definitely boosted the numbers. We've sold the tour and it's introduced yeah. a new audience. That was the goal. That's to, I All I wanted was a new audience because the tour shows that we have been doing have been targeting a very comedy yeah. savvy audience whereas now I'm trying to go more mainstream yep. I want the show to be a mainstream show I want it to be a show and there's that, no, absolutely no reason why it shouldn't be no, you can bring your kids to it but yep. I, it's not a kids show you yep. can bring anyone to it at all the downside is that the material that I've done on the show is so iconic now it's, it, the, it is, it is burnt the moment those oven gloves come out it's like everyone knows the routine but then that now challenges me to re-edit the joke yeah. and make it a different thing like there's a Absolutely. couple of, there's a couple of jokes in when I do Lady in Red that got cut from the TV show okay, so they, they can still stay they stay in there and they get I've noticed that they get the stronger laughs and then now that people go that's an extra joke that's been layered in so it's just I'm listening to Scribbles Pips podcast yeah. interview Frankie Boyle yeah. and it's interesting the difference between musicians where Fans want to hear. Oh, absolutely! The, yeah, the hits. Yeah, the, the big strong comedians. It's got brand new. You've burnt it. Once yeah, yeah. It, you've burnt it. But again, I'm in that grey area where people want to see the oven gloves, but at the same time, the moment I do it, they go, "No, oh, we've seen I've this." That's like, okay. See, this is it. I think as long as you're bringing something fresh, to yes, it, it's just fine. enough that we go, "Oh, we can like, do that last time." I'm lucky enough that even though I like what I, I was in the top ten, so I, I've been asked to be in the Vegas shows in October for Fabulous. AGT, which is that's the winning goal as well. So absolutely. it's like I've got all the, the benefits of the show without having the burdens yeah. um, and so to get to do that means that when I go to those shows I'm going to do all new stuff that no one's ever seen yeah. which will be the joy because people are just going to go why didn't you why do this in the show it's like yeah. because I've got material <laughs> Sam thank you so so, so much for your time that was a joy. absolute <laughs> joy and a pleasure so there you go that was Sam Wills if you enjoyed the podcast please tweet and post about it and make sure you copy in iTunes on Twitter because apparently that helps with the ratings. And please, please, please leave a review on iTunes. I'm hoping to get these up every week. But if you hit subscribe, you'll never miss an episode. Still to come on The Breakfast Club, I have interviews with Bethany Black, Christian Talbot, Professor Chris French, Susan Cowman and more. Thanks ever so much for having me in your ears. I'm Doug Siegel. Bye now.